Welcome back to another week of the JRM Sydney podcast. We hope as you listen into the word today that you will be inspired and empowered and that your eyes will be open to something new. God bless always. All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning. This is kind of a very new normal for, for now, hopefully. Uh, so for those of you who are here, uh, can you poke your, the person next to you three times? Three times. And uh, can you, uh, they call it Air 5. Air 5, the, the one at the front, Air 5, the one at the back. Come on. All right. <laughs> everyone, Air 5, everyone, right? <laughs> All right, there you go. Fantastic. Because you're sitting down, I am sitting down, if you don't mind, <laughs> a little bit of a, a difference. Uh, all right, so we are continuing with our month series. Uh, but before I do so, let me just continue to encourage each and every one of us, you know, um, we are being very flexible and adaptable with everything that's changing, uh, you know, uh, fluctuating uh, seasons in this COVID uh, pandemic times. But uh, I really encourage you that wherever you find yourself, whether you are now here, again, for all of you who are at home and joining us online, uh, we are now having a partial live service. So you can contact your DG leaders uh, to know when you are uh, the hosts for the DG. When your DG is the hosts for the DG uh, Sunday service, then you are encouraged to come here physically at our Preston's building. And we have a social distancing going on here. And of, of course, we are complying with the COVID safety regulations as well. And uh, if you don't have any DGs and you're joining us this morning, you can continue on joining us with online service. Or if you want to come here as well, uh, you are very much welcome to do so. Just contact myself or any of the DG leaders that you know in our church congregation. And for those of you who are here in our online service, uh, let's be aware that we have our, uh, a split congregation you know, a live congregation and an online congregation. Now, I, I, I'm a little bit of a competitive person, so I just uh, wanted to challenge you uh, this morning. I want to see, because I can monitor here uh, your comments uh, in the online congregation. Let's see who is more responsive and who is more engaging, the live congregation or the online congregation. <laughs> a little bit of a competition, healthy competition there. But uh, wherever you are, let me just continue to encourage you that uh, the time that you spent in the presence of God, particularly in our Sunday service, is not a time wasted. It's a time invested, right? And whenever you invest your time or anything at all, resources, unto the Lord, we know the truth, right? That whatever we invest unto the Lord, whether your energy, your resources, your time, your attention, your mind, your talent, anything, you know, uh, you cannot outgive God. Amen? You cannot outgive God. I consider this time, our Sunday service, 10.30 to 12, as a, what I call a consecrated time. When you say consecrated, that's holy. It's set apart. 
It means that for me, personally, as my conviction, nothing can take my Sunday 10.30 to 12 away from me. It's for the Lord and for the Lord alone. I mean, that's my conviction, right? Because I've committed it unto the Lord. That this is the Lord. Of course, it's not just the 1030 to 12 that I give to the Lord and then the rest of my life. I, <laughs> it, that's not what I meant. It, mean, it means that with uh, all the busyness and the preoccupations and the distractions that this world has, you know, your jobs, your school, uh, you know, entertainment and media, that we spend time on, that our minds are not set on the Lord, our hearts are not, uh, you, know, um, you know, focused on the Lord, I see to it that, you know, my service, my Sunday service is fully and wholly unto the Lord. Amen? Amen po? Amen? You guys who are live here in the congregation, um, you can say Amen. <laughs> <laughs> it just simply means, yes, I agree. Or if I preach later on and you feel like, um, bato-bato sa langit, tamaan, wag magalit, nasaktan ka ng konti, na-rebuke ka niyan, pwedeng hindi amen ang sagot. Pwedeng, ouch. Ouch? Ouch. <laughs> Alright. You can also comment that in the section in our Facebook Live. If it's, it's either amen or ouch. <laughs> it's okay because the Lord is our loving Father. And because He is a loving Father, katulad dun sa, uh, later on we will discuss, right? Um, uh, every father, every good parent disciplines their children or corrects their children. And sometimes when they are corrected, we get hurt. But that hurt is towards our benefit. Amen? Whenever we gather as a church... On a Sunday morning like this, whether live or online, we are like gathering around, you know, uh, at the feet of our Father, of our, you know, uh, Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. All right. All right, let's go. Are you ready? All right, today we are uh, going towards the epistle to the Philippians. So flip your Bible to Philippians, all right? And make sure you have, um, I encourage you to have a physical Bible and even if you have your cell phones as a Bible right now, that's well and good. Uh, it would be good if you know how to interact with that Bible that you're holding, whether you highlight it with a real highlighter or like an e-highlighter, electronic highlighter. Um, and then you can also make some notes. I, I really encourage you to do that because uh, they say that a dull pencil is sharper than the sharpest memory. A dull pencil is sharper than the sharpest memory. Perhaps you don't have a pencil, but you have your notes uh, app on your cell phone that you can use, you know your fingers can be sharper than your sharpest memory. Perhaps that's a reconfiguration of that quote. Um, we're diving in to the, to the epistle to the Philippians. Now, the heart be behind this series, before I go there, is that we really want you to understand the letters to the churches in the New Testament. Because, as I, again, as I've said in the past few weeks, 
There are 21 letters, 21, 20, uh, tw there are 27 books in the New Testament, and 21 out of those 27 are letters. And this basically has been the foundation and the building blocks of the first century church when it was starting. And the principles that they teach us are still applicable to us today. And if we don't grasp it, if we don't, uh, if we are not aware of it, if we do not understand it, then how can we? But how can we be the church in the 21st century? Now, how can we be Christians right now? The letters uh, by the apostles that has led the churches in the first century teaches us how to be a Christian, how to be living in victory as we are in Christ. Amen. And uh, these are really very important for us to chew and digest as we go along. Amen? The letter to the Philippians always uses that phrase for many, many uh, times, the mind of Christ. And you will see later on, it's always mentioning that you will have the same mind, that the mind of Christ may be in you. And this is very important because the ultimate goal of Christianity is Christ-likeness. Amen? Everyone say Christ-likeness. You know, the, the Christianity's goal is not for you to be good and a moral citizen, although that is a fruit. The, you know, the goal of Christianity is not for you to be religious, although that can take forms and can also be a fruit. But you, for you to know Jesus and to know Him intimately and to be known by Him, and in so doing, you become like Him. You know that uh, old saying that you become who you are always with. Yeah? Uh, those of you who are housemates, can you look at each other? <laughs> you become who you are always with. To look like them. <laughs> no, no, but that's not just, uh, you know, the language, impartation of language, right? Eventually, you get the accent. You know, if you always talk to my and uh, Clint, you get their accent eventually. <laughs> If you always talk to uh, who has uh, a very distinct uh, accent among us, um, yeah. If you always talk to Trish and Steve, you become Aussie accent. So eventually, hi Trish and Steve. <laughs> yeah. So you always talk to them. <laughs> Anyways, um, now you all you become who you are always with, and that's the same thing. If you're always with Jesus, guess what you will become. You will, you will look like, uh, what you behold will eventually look like you. You will become what you always behold. Amen? You will become what you always behold. Now, the mind of Christ, when you're always with Christ, when you're immersed in the presence of the Lord, the mind of Christ eventually is formed and matures in your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Is that correct? Right? Now, the reality is that we won't have a mind like Christ if we don't know the mind of Christ. We won't have a mind like Christ. Now, before I continue with that thought, why would you like to have a mind like Christ? Because only the mind of Christ is normal. <laughs> Follow that? Only the mind of Christ is normal. The mind of Christ, or Christ 
as a human being, 100% God and 100% man, Christ is the standard of what it means to be human. Anything below that is not a normal human. Can you say to the person next to you, I'm not as normal as Christ yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because of sin, our minds have malfunctioned. Nagkaroon ng virus. And the mind of Christ is the antidote. And you want the mind of Christ in you. Why? Because if you will be honest with yourself, that mind is full of junk that needs to be cleansed. That mind is full of filth. That mind is full of insecurity. That mind is full of self-doubt. That mind is full of unbelief. That mind is full of greed. That mind is full of you know, things that are not of Christ that is destroying a person's life and not helping that person achieve his highest potential. Why do you want the mind of Christ in you? Because if you will have the mind of Christ in you, you will become a normal human. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong on this. You know what I'm trying to say. Am I correct? Am I correct? You're, you know what I'm trying to say. The mind of Christ is what God wants to form in us as Christians. That's why we are called what? Starts with letter D. Disciples. As disciples, you are trying to imitate your master, right? And you want to think the way they think. You want to act the way they act. You want to live the way they live. Because as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's what we are called to. To follow Christ, right? But we won't have a mind like Christ. We won't develop a mind like Christ if we don't know the mind of Christ. And to know the mind of God is to know His Word. There's no other way around it. There's no other way around it. You cannot have a telepathic, whatever you call that, you know. I will just think of Christ. No, 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 no. You have to open your Bible and learn it and understand it and chew it and digest it and comprehend it and have a revelation of God's Spirit through it. The mind of Christ is all here. And that's why as a church, as your pastor, I encourage you to read on. Uh, for example, right now, our epistles, our letters, these are the mind of Christ transferred to the apostles. These are the mind of Christ transferred to the disciples at the first century because they lived with Him. Amen? And the words live on because the Word itself is Christ. Amen? Now, uh, this, this week, this is uh, like a helicopter uh, view of the letter to the Philippians. But I do encourage you, church, you know, this series will only work at its optimum effectiveness by your participation. They get it? No matter how great or amazing or anointed or pantabulous my preaching here is, if you will not do your part, it will not be effective in your life. I remember, I, 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 kind, of, I kind of think about this, perhaps, right? When Paul sent, um, you know, uh, Timothy and 
uh, what do you call this, Tychicus to those churches where he was sending these letters. There's a congregation, thousands of them, you know, like a church during that time where these letters were read publicly. But I wonder, I wonder, I imagine sometimes among those congregations where these letters were read, how many of them responded to that letter? How many of them applied what the letters were prescribing? How many of them received the spirit that the letter brings? Because even though Paul wrote the letter, it's the responder that makes it work. Are you following? No matter how many preachings, anointed preachings, podcasts, you know, conferences you attend, if you don't intend to apply it, it won't work. Can you say to the person next to you, the word, come on, the word is to be applied. The word is to be applied. Amen. God feeds the hungry. Not physical food. But me nag-react. God feeds the hungry. Now, if you have, you know, those of you are parents, when you were, your children were babies. Now, for example, baby live, you know, our infants here in the church. You know, they, they can't have language yet. And uh, somehow, you as a parent, you can discern and you can know when the baby is hungry, right? And when the baby is hungry or when they are crying, what you do when you're not, uh, you know, preparing the milk yet or there's no food around or whatever, when you, on your babies, what do you do? You give the baby a pacifier. Yeah? The pacifier. To what? To pacify the baby. To pacify the baby. But eventually, that baby realizes that, you know, at the beginning, you know, he is being pacified, chewing on that pacifier. But eventually, the baby realizes this is not food. It's not filling me. I need real food. So he will spit that out and cry again, right? And when your baby grows a little bit older, like Ben or Sky or Kendrick and Ely, you know, they now know how to talk. Whenever they're hungry, they will come to their parents and they will say, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And as a parent, what you will do is feed them. Feed them. Why am I saying this? God feeds the hungry. If you're not hungry for His Word, how can He feed you? If you're not hungry for His presence, how can He feed you? If you're not hungry for His Spirit, how can He feed you? If you're not hungry for His anointing, how can He feed you? You know, eventually, you know, you will get used to, uh, you, will, you will not be satisfied anymore by the things of this world that pacifies you because they are not filling your spirit. They're just entertaining you, but they are not filling in the deepest recesses of your need in your soul. Only the Word of God can. Man lives by bread alone, but uh, the ma man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen? Amen. So let's jump in. <laughs> Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be what? 
field. Matthew 5, 6, 6. Uh, uh, Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for they shall be filled. Can you look at the person next to you? Mukha bang gutom? All right. A person who is hungry for God's word. You know what? 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 This is a person who's hungry for God's word on a Sunday service like this, whether you're here live or online, a person who's hungry for God's word on a Bible study gathering, you know, they're ready. They're ready to eat. They have their Bibles with them. They have their notebooks with them. They have their pens with them because they want to consume. They want to consume. Are you following me? Are you following me? When you're full and you go to a party and there's food, you don't really kind of uh, taste here, taste there, you know. But don't really eat. But when you're hungry and you go to a party, oh my gosh, you should watch Bino do that. <laughs> Anyways, let's see. Um, let's bow down our heads. That's just my introduction, by the way. <laughs> I just feel like talking from the heart right now. So let's bow down our heads and close our eyes. Let's be hungry for the word and commit this unto the Lord right now. Amen. I have half an hour. Father, give you thanks. This is an opportunity for us to once again drink and eat of your word. And I pray, Father, that, Lord, as you search our hearts this morning, you know who's hungry. And as you have promised, those who are hungry and thirsty, they shall be filled. Lord God, you will feed the hungry and you will satisfy the thirst of those who are thirsty. Today, Lord, I pray that if we don't feel like that, would you, Holy Spirit, steer that up from within us. Steer that up from within us. That forgotten hunger, that forgotten thirst that we might have lost along the way. Holy Spirit, would you revive from within our spirit a hunger and a thirst for only you, because only you can satisfy. Lord, we honor you this morning. We set our minds and hearts only on you, in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a man by the name of Daniel Manville, and this man was imprisoned. He's in the U.S. Um, Daniel Manville is a man imprisoned in the 1970s for manslaughter and drug uh, trafficking. And uh, he was in prison for four years. And when he was uh, entered into the prison, uh, the, like the warden or the officer there um, kind of got a liking on him and encouraged him because he saw this man's potential. He's intelligent. And he said, you can use this next four years of your life to go to waste being here in jail or you can do something productive about it. The jail was not a limitation for this man because as he was motivated by that person, Daniel Manville started to study law while inside the jail. Uh, at the end of those four years, guess what? He earned two bachelor degrees inside the jail. And after he went out of the jail, he continued on with his studies. And right now, he is the academic dean of University of Michigan. Uh, the uh, University of Michigan uh, College of Law. And he is fighting for the rights of those inmates, the civil rights of those who are in prison. 
Now, why am I saying you, telling you this story? Um, there are a lot of comments here and there in the Facebook and people of conversations that I've had where people are saying, where has 2020 gone? This seems like a wasted year. Let me challenge you, my friends. 2020 can be a wasted year or a productive year. It's up to you. That man was in jail, literally locked down. And he made something productive out of it. He sowed something, he planted something within that period, and now he's reaping the benefits, and others are benefiting from it. Now, let me encourage you, 2020 is not yet over. It's just August. We still have the Burmonts. <laughs> and it's up to you if you want to make this year a wasted year or a productive year. You can sow, you can plant seeds in this season that two years, three years, five years, even ten years from now, you will look back on 2020 and say, thank God I planted those seeds. In a, in, in the farmers, you know, they don't normally celebrate the planting season. They celebrate the harvesting season, the crops that they harvest. But there is no harvest without the planting season. So don't expect any harvest two years, three years, five years from now if you're not planting anything. If you don't sow anything, you won't reap anything. That's just the principle. It's a biblical principle of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you will reap. And this year, you can sow things. You can plant seeds. Just like this man, Daniel Manville. And there, you know what? There's another man. His name is Paul. And Philippians is a letter among four other prison letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison in Rome. And even though he was in jail, that did not stop him from serving the Lord, mentoring people, discipling churches, encouraging the congregations to keep serving God faithfully. The jail cells did not prohibit him, you know, to complete the task which the Lord has given him. But again, it's mindset. Whether, you know, Paul could have said, you know, after I get out of jail, I'll do whatever God wants me to do. But no, while he was inside the jail, he did what he did with what he could. You know, he used whatever is in his hands to fulfill what is in his heart. And say to the person next to you, use whatever is in your hand to fulfill that which is in your heart. What is in your hands right now? Perhaps during the time of Paul, in fact, literally, he might be in chains. He cannot even move his hands. That's why he had chroniclers, you know, uh, yung mga nagsulat ng letter on his behalf. What he had was a voice and a mind and a heart to say what he wants to say. Now, the, gospel, the letter to the Philippians, you can find the context of this for you to understand this more. This is just four short chapters, my friend. You can read this in one sitting. I've read, I've read again last night the Passion Translation of this. I encourage you to do the same. If you're quite familiar with the NIV and you kind of don't find excitement reading it anymore, find another translation. 
the Passion Translation, you can read it in one sitting, but also add into your reading this week, aside from Philippians, is Acts chapter 16. Because that's the story where Paul plants the church in Philippi. Do you remember the lady named Lydia, the seller of purple cloth, the one that uh, Sister Charm preached during our Brave series, right? So that she's the first convert. This the church in Philippi or the Philippians, the church in Philippi is the first church in Europe. It was the church, first church in Europe, and Lydia was the first convert along with other ladies that was uh, present during that time. And because uh, Paul was trying to establish the church there, he found himself in many troubles because one instance she set free from uh, demonic influence this slave girl who was doing some fortune telling and being uh, you know being a, a source of income by of course the owner of those, that's the, the that slave girl and so the owner of that slave girls were so angry with Paul that they want they they threw them into the prison right and when they were in prison this is the story where they were singing hymns unto the Lord at night and the jail uh, and there was an earthquake and the jail cells uh, the gates broke open and there was a, a guard a guard in the a philippian a philippian guard roman guard who was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners has escaped if the prisoners escaped he was the one in duty he will be executed anyway so he decided to kill himself but then eventually paul long story short called out to him to, to not harm himself and you know the man brought paul and silas into uh, his house, and he was converted as well. So now these people, Lydia and that Roman uh, guard in Philippi, they were the first congregations here in the church in Philippi. And the church steadily grew. It grew in numbers. And in fact, if you're going to study all the churches in the first century, Philippians was one of a well-off and uh, established church in terms of finances. And they were very much blessed uh, materially. And in that scenario, they are the church in Macedonia. So Philippi is a city in Macedonia. And if you're going to remember 1 Corinthians chapter 8, this is what Paul is also saying, that the church in Macedonia has been uh, very generous towards the churches in Jerusalem and for Paul. Now, Philippi, or the church in Philippi, is uh, very faithful in uh, giving uh, support financially to the Apostle Paul. That's why this letter was written. The purpose of this letter was for thanksgiving and appreciation for the gifts that they have sent Paul while he was in prison. Unlike the letters that we've talked about in the previous weeks, like Galatians, for example, Paul was trying to tackle a problem or an issue, um, you know, a heresy or there is a, a conflict within the church, the letter to the Philippians, you know, that the Philippi, uh, the letter to the Philippians, is a letter of endearment. It's it's very sweet when you read it. You know, uh, the relationship that Paul had with this church is very intimate, and he was just, you know, you will read again and again, you know, that phrase where Paul says, "You are so dear to my heart. You are so dear to my heart. I thank God for you. It brings me joy in prayer." Every time I remember you, you know, that's my motivation before when we planted this church in Jerem, Sydney, with our head ministers, Bishop Vincent and Ligaya Javier. I said, you know, 
I, I wish to hear that one day that when Bishop Vincent and Ligaya Javier says, you know, every time I remember you in prayer, God fills me with joy. JRM Sydney. <laughs> because not all churches are like that. <laughs> you know, every time I remember you in prayer, my head aches. <laughs> because of how stubborn you are. You know, but I pray JRM Sydney be a Philippian kind of church. Amen. <laughs> Galicia. <laughs> All right. So, let's look at this. Some of the purposes, of course, ultimately the purpose of the letter is thanksgiving and encouragement to the church in Philippians. But, you know, as Paul writes this, he also inserts some of the things that he wants to address in the church as a reminder to them. The first one is to re report his own circumstances. So, imagine the scenario here. Paul is in prison two years now and he hasn't been visiting the church in Philippi. If you, for example, JRM Sydney, for example, if I go, if I, Pastor Vincent told me, oh, you go to, uh, what? You go to North Korea for a mission trip. <laughs> and I was imprisoned there. <laughs> now, you, how, what would you feel? Yay! <laughs> Perhaps you'd be so happy I'm gone now. Now, you might be worried. Is that correct? So the church in Philippi is also worried about Paul. So Paul was writing to assure them that I am okay. I am okay. So he's, he's basically saying to them that his imprisonment has resulted all the more to the salvation of, yeah, the, the Roman guards and the people that are in jail. Imagine, <laughs> imagine if you're a Roman guard, non-Christian, and you're in every six hours, they rotate their uh, shift to, to guard, basically, the prisoners. If you're a Roman guard, if every six hours, that guard changes. And for six hours, you're stuck with Paul. Guess what Paul would do? He would just talk and talk and talk about Jesus. And, you know, the, the ending would be every Roman guard will eventually be saved. Right? The next one is to encourage the Philippians to stand firm in the face of persecution and rejoice regardless of circumstances. Obviously, persecution is a normal thing in their time. Another one is to exhort them to humility and unity. Now, these two are very prominent in this letter. Humility and unity. And they are interlinked. Uh, later on, we will see that. And then to commend Timothy and Epaphroditus to the Philippian church. These are two of Paul's um, sons in the faith. Very faithful servants of Paul that he goes with in all his missionary travels. And they are the ones who are actually delivering the letter. Uh, basically, uh, Timothy delivers the letter to the Ephesians and to the Colossians. And then Epaphroditus delivers the letter to the Philippians. Um, to warn, and the last one that is to warn the Philippians against the Judaizers. Have you heard of, that was last week, remember Galatians? They were having problems with the legalistic Jewish Christians, the Judaizers they call them. So the, uh, Paul was warning the Philippians that if ever they come to you, because they're, come, they're also roving around, right? If ever they come to you, remember the gospel that you have received, Yeah. And also, on the other side of that, opposite, uh, opposite pole of the Judaizers or the legalists are the antinomians. The antinomians are also people during that time that has a bit of an out-of-balance view of the gospel. If the Judaizers are legalistic and says that you can be saved only by 
following the law, being circumcised and food loss and all that, the antinomians is on the opposite pole that says, oh, it's all about grace. It's all about grace. You can do whatever you want. You can live the way that you want. And that's an, a very out-of-balance perspective because like, okay, just as long as you pray the prayer of acceptance, you're going to go to heaven. And then even if you live your life, whatever you want. Those are the antinomians. So those are two opposite. And, and Paul is brilliant at this because he is the guy, and I think that's the reason why. He is the guy that perfectly uh, gives us the balance of the two. Later on, I'll explain it. All right. But this letter, four chapters long, the very core of this letter is found in no other than the person of Jesus Christ. Now, everything that Paul would say eventually in this letter for Christians, how Christians should look like, is obviously uh, blueprinted on the person of Jesus Christ. So, uh, chapter 2, verse 5 to 11 de describes to us the portrait of Jesus Christ as a humble servant that we should imitate and grow in likeness on. Um, I want to focus on that later on, but just want to, to give you the four big ideas of the whole letter of Philippians, and this is where we will go about in the next 10 minutes. <laughs> Chapter 1 basically is a picture of the marvel. Now, Philippians is like this. This is how the Christian life looks like. Yeah. So chapter 1, if you read it in your homes uh, this week, it talks about the marvel of the Christian life. And then chapter 2 talks about the model of the Christian life. And then chapter 3 talks about the march or the motion of the Christian life. And then chapter 4 would basically cover the marks of the Christian life. The book of Philippians is so famous because most of the memory verses that we grew up learning came from this uh, letter, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you think you can lift a big, big uh, boulder of weight because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, Paul was talking about contentment when he said that. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, what else? Uh, there's another verse. Uh, he who began good work in you shall be faithful to complete it until the coming of the Lord Jesus. That's another memory verse that we all like. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. That Those dramatic um, verses. Let's go, chapter 1. Marvel of the Christian life. Obviously, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. It's up to you to read it and digest it in your own time, in your homes. But the marvel of Christian life, basically what Paul explains, talks about here is that you can choose joy. Joy is a given. Joy is something that God inherently gives the moment you receive salvation, if you understand your salvation. Because in this part, you know, Paul basically emphasizes that I am in jail, right? So what should I do? Self-pity? Anxiety? Depression? No. We are in the pandemic, so what should we do? Self-pity, depression, anxiety? No. Because joy is a choice, and joy is given. Paul, in the midst of his suffering and persecution and all these um, unfortunate things that has happened to him, 
does not look at the external circumstances because he is anchored with the internal uh, internal reason why he can give, he, he can rejoice. The word joy and rejoice in the whole letter of Philippians is mentioned over uh, about 18 times. Four short chapters. And Paul keeps on saying, joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. 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 Look at the person next to you. Does it look like she's rejoicing? Let, give a little bit smile there. You know? We're not in a... I know. <laughs> We're not in a funeral service, my friends. <laughs> this is church. Should be alive. Amen? Are you alive? Are you alive? Hey, church online, are you alive? I'm sleepy, Pastor Jeff. <laughs> Just got out of bed. <laughs> All right. So some verses that I want to highlight here. I mentioned earlier already, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the coming of Jesus Christ. The marvel of Christian life is that it's not depending on you. It depends on God. And he's the one who is working in you and for you and through you. And that's the verse that says there, he who began a good work in you. If he began something in you, he will be faithful to finish it. Because God is not, what do you call it in Tagalog? Ningas kugon. Do you know that word? Ningas kugon. I don't know what the English of that is. But someone who starts something but doesn't finish it. But God is not like that. If He has started something in you, He will finish it. Because He is faithful. Amen? If you can remember, I preached a little bit on this uh, a few months back uh, about the R's of victory. Yeah? Resolved gratitude, redirected pragmatism, resilient confidence, radiant hope, redefined success. This is what Paul emphasizes and you know, uh, uh, kind of teaches us in chapter 1 of this text. Um, uh, we'll skip that. In verse 21, in the midst of death, Paul looks at life. In the midst of death, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Basically, what this verse says or means is that it's a win-win scenario. If I continue on living, I will continue to be fruitful as the Spirit enables me and be of your benefit. Right? But if I die, it's also a win-win. You know, it's an advantage for me because I will be with the Lord face to face. Amen? So whatever circumstances he finds himself in, he always looks for the win-win scenario. Yeah? So if you find yourself in an unfortunate situation, a man or a woman of God who has a relationship with the Lord and knows that he is in Christ will always find the silver lining, they call it. Yeah? In that scenario. Amen? Are you following? The wonder of the Christian life is that you're not a loser. There's no scenario where you will lose. Are you following me? Are you? I mean, I'm excited about this because it means there's no scenario or situation that I am a loser. Because Jesus is the winner and I am in Jesus. That everything that goes on in this life, God promises me victory. And it is mine for the taking. Amen? Amen. Chapter 2. Now, this is where I want to kind of dive in a little bit. 
The model of the Christian life is obviously none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. For Paul, his ultimate, his ultimate passion, and there's no other passion greater than this. For Paul, his ultimate passion is Jesus Christ himself. All other things he says are dung. You know what dung is? Manure. He goes on to say here, actually that's later on, but <laughs> uh, in verse 1, let's read. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now verse 2 is very, very important. Do nothing. Everyone say, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now that three, four words, I think that sums up how the world looks like right now. Selfish ambition and conceit. What is conceit? Uh, conceit is arrogance, pride. Conceitedness is haughtiness, yeah? So that sums up the world today. Selfish ambition. Because of selfishness, there is division. Because of selfishness, there is a war against nations, against parties, against, you know, inside the homes. But as the church or as Christians, this is what the Apostle Paul is teaching us. In Christ, you have to be, but in humility... Look at this. This is very difficult to do. <laughs> but God, the Holy Spirit, will enable us to do it if we are in Christ. Look at this. In humility, can you read that? The yellow, the yellow font. One, two, three. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let that sink in for a moment. You count the person sitting next to you more significant than yourself. Wow. Pastor Jeff, that is so hard. Oops. Sorry. Amen or ouch? <laughs> now, if we're going to look at ourselves, we're going to be really discouraged and disappointed. But this is not really talking about, I mean, this is impossible without the work of the Spirit. Because of sin, we have a stain of selfishness. Again, going back to that <laughs> uh, illustration earlier, our mind is not normal. <laughs> selfishness is not normal. That is a stain of sin. But... You know, look, look at verse 4. If it's not hard enough, Paul adds up and says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. That's what a Christian should look like. Now, look at this. Have this mind among yourselves in verse 5, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Now look at this. Who is more significant, you or God? You or Jesus? 
But Jesus counted you more significant. That's why he gave his life and died on the cross in your place. That's normal. And when you understand how powerful that is, you also become like that. Because how dare me be conceited if God, who is the greatest of all, is humble? Are you following me? How dare me think of myself more superior than others? You know what self-righteousness means? I, I said this to the lighthouse last Wednesday. Self-righteousness means this. Using yourself as the standard that others should measure up. If you think yourself too highly and others, you might be looking at others lowly. If you think of yourself too highly, you're probably looking at others too lowly. Look at that. Let each of you, um, in, in, in verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. God of the universe, maker of heaven and earth, owner of everything, took the form of a servant. That's the God you serve. And that's Jesus who we follow. Look at that. Ha. Look at that. Just with that one verse, if you're doing this in your daily devotion and I'm reading that, I will stop and I will ask God, search my heart, Lord, and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. If there's any way that I have looked at myself too highly and looked down on others, forgive me. Change me. Renew my mind that I may reflect who you are in this world. Because if we, we are not going to be like this, then how can we reflect Jesus to the world who are conceited and selfish in ambition? Uh, are you following me? Yeah. This is good. Yes? Can you? Yeah. And that's as a result, in verse 8, yeah? Uh, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God, therefore, God, God is a rewarder. <laughs> if God finds you like this, you know, look at what God did. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And we know this, that every that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, unity is not possible without humility. Because, again, our minds can be stained with selfishness and conceitedness. Selfishness and conceitedness will always be the barrier for unity. Right? Basketball team. Alisa, for example, right? You're in the basketball team. Like, if all the players that are playing wants to have it their way, how can you win? Because unity is only possible if you set aside your way and follow the coach. Is that correct? 
I'm not a basketball player, but <laughs> you know what I mean? If everyone wants to be MVP and so the team competes among themselves, then how can they win? Because unity is only possible when there's humility. And that's the same with the church. That's the same with the church. Amen? Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm running. I'm going to run. I'm going to run. Okay. Therefore, my beloved, verse 12, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, this is what Paul exhorts, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this is not meaning that you have to work for your salvation. You've already been saved by grace through faith. It means you have to work out that salvation that was given to you, right? So you work it out like, you know, when you work out in the gym, you build those muscles and you build on the stamina and you build on your health. You have to work it out because that body is already given to you. The salvation, your spiritual life is already given to you for free by the Lord. But now that you're a Christian, your responsibility is to work it out, to make it strong, to make it healthy, to make it productive, right? And it's two-way. This is how Paul balances it. You have to work out the salvation given to you. And that means, you know, reading your Bible, praying every day, coming to church, fellowshipping with one another, practicing your tithes and offering, worshiping the Lord, singing hymns to, to God, uh, practicing generosity, you know, extending your support and help to those in need. And all the fellowship and everything that the church is all about, that's how you work it out. That, that salvation, you know, you feed yourself and all that stuff. But it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, I'm going to go uh, jump into chapter 3. Uh, this is where uh, the march of the Christian life. Now, as you do these things, Paul uh, encourages us to, uh, you know, that, that famous line, I press on towards the goal for the price of the heavenly call. Now, there are enemies of the church at this time. Are you following me? So he warns against the Judaizers and the antinomians. I've said earlier, the Judaizers is the opposite pole of legalism, that you have to follow the law to be saved, which is basically a false gospel. And then the antinomians are, it's okay, Jesus already died on the cross, so just pray the prayer of salvation and then you're okay, whatever you want to do with your life. That's also a false doctrine. Um, now Paul basically emphasizes in chapter 3 the motion of a Christian life. That if you are in Christ and you're a Christian, the only movement is moving forward. Uh, the, the logo of Australia, do you know the logo of Australia? Uh, the emu, emu ba yan? Malanding ugnayan. Emu, emu. Emu, emu and the kangaroo, right? So why do you think that that's the logo? They cannot walk backwards. They don't know how to move backwards. Both those animals. We should be like that. <laughs> Paul says here in uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, no, firstly, Paul basically says all his achievements, all his, you know, uh, lahat ng kanyang napaghirapan, all that. And then, uh, he basically says that everything that I have achieved in my life so far, I consider as loss or rubbish or dung or manure. 
a pile of manure compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, my Lord. Now, that is, for me, in my opinion, the only fitting, what do you call that? Uh, the only fitting, you know, when you, what comes to your mind when you think of Jesus? Yeah. For Paul, if you ask Paul, Paul, what do you comes to your mind when you think of Jesus? Paul might answer this, Philippians chapter 3. I consider everything rubbish compared to Christ. Did you get that? Anything that you match up with Christ as worth your affection equal to Christ. We have learned this in the previous months. It's called what? Idolatry. If your life is being invested in other things and Christ is not there, are you following what I'm saying here? But Paul is like that. Paul is like that. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Why? Because he was saved. He was saved from a life that is completely opposite to what Jesus Christ would want him to live. And in that revelation and in that experience that he had with the Lord, he considers now everything as loss. Now, I don't know if you're getting me. Are you getting me? <laughs> Are you getting me? All right, very good. Now, look at this, verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, look at this. This is Paul's goal and only goal in life. And because of this one goal that Paul has, it has benefited Thousands and, you know, generations after him, including us. If Paul did not have this passion, we wouldn't be here where we are. Look at verse 10. It says, this is his goal, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Are you with me? Amen? And then this is so comforting because in verse 12, it says, you know, after all the achievements that Paul has done for the church and for the Lord, he says, verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Now, Paul is saying, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. But what does he do? He says, I press on. Say to the person next to you, I press on. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Say, one thing I do. What is your one thing? Forgetting what is behind and straining forward 
to what lies ahead. Again, he repeats there, I press on toward the goal. What goal? The price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is your one goal? What is your one goal? What is your one thing? What is your one passion? Now, you, it's okay to have many passions in this life if you're passionate about dance or music or if you want, you're passionate about your career, you're passionate about your job, you're passionate about you know, your family. That's well and good. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. But say, for example, you're passionate about your job, you're passionate about your career, or I'm very passionate of becoming like a teacher, but what if you're already 70 years old and you cannot be a teacher anymore? What remains of you after giving all of your life to that one passion? Are you following me? Now, that in itself is not bad, but if Christ is not in it, little is much when God is in it. Anything and everything that you have or you're doing, if Christ is the motivation behind it, if Christ is the ultimate passion behind your current passion, then that is for eternity. Are you following me? Not saying don't be passionate about other things. I'm saying that Christ, if Christ is the ultimate passion behind your present passion, Atitess is so passionate about love in action. What's the difference with all the other charitable institutions? Christ is in it. Christ is the primary motivation of it. If you're passionate to be a teacher, why would you passionate to be a teacher? Because God has given me a gift to teach, and I want to use this gift to further His kingdom. Are you following me? Why are you passionate about your business? Why are you passionate about your job? Just for selfish gain? then that's not like Christ. I, I told you there will be some ouch and amen here. <laughs> but yeah, our God is a loving Father. I press on toward the goal. Every single morning when you wake up, what, make, keeps you, what, what takes you out of bed? What's the reason for you to get out of bed? That's called passion. If you don't have that motivation, then that passion probably is already a flickering flame. It's time to come to God and ask Him to light it up again. Amen? Ah, look at you. So baet. <laughs> Can you give the Lord the best of claps? Today, this morning, amen, if you're getting this, chapter 4, I'm ending. Chapter 4, these are the marks of the Christian life. And I'm going to run with this because I'm running out of time. The first one is joy. The mark of a Christian. If you're a Christian, and if you're really a Christian, you should be the happiest person on the face of the planet. Have you ever seen a Christian in his face? Would you want to become a Christian? If you have, there, there are two things why people uh, become a Christian or does not want to become a Christian. The first is, they want to be a Christian because they've met a Christian. Why is that person always so joyful? Even if there is a problem, why is Jane always so positive? You know, why is uh, Jess always so vibrant and lively? You know, they want to be a, a Christian because they've met a Christian. 
And the other reason is people don't want to be a Christian because they've met a Christian. Ay, ako maging ganyan. Pakamiserable ng buhay niyan. Mamukha. Joy is a mark of a Christian. And joy is not like laughing all the time. Like, you know, ingat ka, baka dalin ka kung saan. Right? Joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. This is Paul writing in a prison cell full of wounds and lashes in his back. Chained in two hands and two feet. And writes this to the church in Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. In a season of pandemic, can you say to the person around you who are experiencing the same suffering, rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. And this joy comes from a very deep place. This joy comes from a very, very deep place within your soul because you know God has laid the foundation there. It can never be shaken. No matter what happens, rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Second one is gentleness. I'm not going to expound on that, but you know, gentleness is such a character of a Christian because the Holy Spirit is a gentle spirit. So should we be. A Christian is always prayerful and thankful. That's in verse 6 and 7. A, pray, a Christian is always peaceful, always calm. And that's, do you, do, you, do you remember what this is? This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We learned about this last week. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The Christian is always disciplined in mind. That's why the Paul says, Brothers and sisters, finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Because these are the things that are normal to think about. The mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. You know, when you're a Christian and there's something negative in your mind, you immediately recognize this is not the mind of Christ. This is not the voice of the Spirit. This is not God's words. When you're a Christian, you recognize the voice of God from the voice of Satan. And in your mind, the Bible says, take captive of every thought and make it obedient to Christ. It means submit everything that you are thinking unto the Lord. And when you do so, God enables you to think right. There's a very important part there in verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Paul says. Again, whatever you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me. What's the word? Put it into practice. Because again, I'll go back to where I started this is not going to be as effective if you don't do your part. Practice makes it effective. And the God of peace will be with you. Amen?
Amen. 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 Come on, stand up. Hallelujah. Oh, we bless you, Father. All this, Lord. All this. Renew our minds. Renew our minds, Lord. Lord God, with the unveiling of your word, with the revelation of your will, Lord God, through the letter of Paul to the church in Philippians, Lord, it's as if Paul is writing to us as well. And although they had their own unique, uh, Lord God, circumstances, but Lord, we can still relate. Why? Because God, the Spirit, who enabled Paul to pen these words, is the same Spirit that speaks to us. And His words are timeless. His words are ageless. His word never becomes irrelevant. It's always relevant. And Lord God, these words are life. If we will do them, they will be health to our bones. If we will apply it, they will be a source of joy from within our soul. If we will do it, they will become our mindset. If we will do it, they will become our habits. They will become our lifestyle. And they will become the very essence of who we are. And that essence is who you are. You are Christ. And you want to transfer your mind towards us. Lord, our minds are open. Come on, would you raise your hands as if to receive from the Lord this morning. Father, my mind is open. Father, my heart is open. Lord God, search me and know me. See if there is any wicked thing in my mind and in my heart. And would you have your way, Lord, and lead me to your way everlasting. God, have your way in me. Renew my mind so that I can be transformed with all these things that I have heard this morning, Father. Father, steer up within me a passion for your name. Steer up within me a passion for your name, Jesus. Oh, that my life will only have one goal and one thing, one thing I do. Lord God, forgetting that which is behind me and pressing on towards that is before me. Lord God, I press on towards that goal of an upward call, upward call in Christ Jesus my Lord, to know Christ, to know Christ, that is my one ultimate goal. And to make Him known, that is my passion. Oh Jesus, stir up within me. If there is anyone from any one of us here in the live service or those of us who are at home in our online congregation, if your passion for Jesus is now just a flickering flame, it's not as fiery, it's not as uh, large and huge and powerful and as, as red hot as it was before today is the day for you to ask God Lord fan the flame within me fan the flame within me may the passion for Jesus rise up and rise up within me once again Holy Spirit Holy Spirit blow your wings of change and revival from within my soul this morning Oh God, here I am. Oh, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. I surrender to you. I surrender to you. Oh, for there is nothing. There is nothing greater than you. Amen. My, can you lead us? No one is saved. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Isn't he 
Come on, sing it, church. Hallelujah. Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Bow down. Bow down before Him. For He is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Thank you for joining us in today's episode, and we hope that we will have you again in the next one. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance, His smile over you, and give you peace. Shalom. God bless you.